This is Pastor Frank. Welcome to First Discipleship Christian Talk. So the subject of this particular talk and Bible study is once saved, always saved. Now I came across this article, which was really, it's really short, but I think it's really compact. So I'm just going to read the first paragraph so that you can kind of get an idea of where I'm going with this. The doctrine of once saved, always saved teaches that it is possible for a child of God to sin in such a way that he will not be lost. Many people who undoubtedly are very sincere and possess a desire to do what is right find tremendous comfort in this doctrine. This doctrine, however, is not taught in the Bible. It is an erroneous doctrine that provides a false comfort and a deceitful feeling of security. I agree with that uh, paragraph and that statement. And I think it's um, very interesting um, that it, it what it builds, it builds a false sense of security and a definitely false faith in salvation. So one of the things that I want to um, give is kind of a personal testimony is because I, when I very first got saved in 1998, one of the things that was that really plagued my life at the time, um, not just my decision making, but just in general, I had a huge pride issue, anger issue, and a cursing issue. So salvation really depends on repentance. Now, repentance of sin is what we have a general sin aspect to our lives because of Adam and Eve, and then we have what we've incurred over a period of our life, things that we actually believe that are lies, and we live our lives out accordingly. And it's that simple. Now, because we have chosen to live our lives in this manner, we think we're right. To some degree, we may even think we're superior to other people. But if you're not using God's wisdom, you're not using the teachings of Christ, you're not knowing the whole counsel of God, or at least some of the counsel of God, and using it and implementing it and manifesting in your life, you're wrong. I think this is the reason why people engage in morality. Uh, the better they feel about themselves and the more moral, the good things that they do, because the people are good or cap- are capable of doing good things, they feel better about themselves. Like volunteers at a soup kitchen. That's something that's has some nobility to it, but it's not. it doesn't make you righteous. It just means that you're capable of doing good things. But when it comes to once saved, always saved, there is an aspect of salvation that we need to understand. And so, and I want to give it just a a quick personal testimony. Um, When I first got saved, and this was 1998, I knew the sinner's prayer based on my upbringing and what my mother taught me and what my grandmother taught my mom. My family is full of ministers and preachers and evangelists. I got hurt playing football. I was in the emergency room. I was getting a CAT scan when I gave my heart to the Lord. One of the biggest problems that I had at the time was pride, anger, and a foul mouth. My cursing was so bad that my wife had told me that my son, at, my oldest son at the time was barely one or two. He was starting to repeat my curse words and she said, you need to stop. So on so on my salvation, on my repentance of sin, and when I my salvation first started, um, God took away the cursing. Well, I could see why, because he made me a Bible teacher. I can't have that 
while teaching the Bible and or slipping, you know, here and there, but he took it completely away. And so I haven't cursed since. But what was left is my pride and my anger. This is something that God left a thorn in my side for me to work through, to find faith in him, to be able to recover from those areas of agreement. Now, I agreed with anger, I agreed with pride, and I agreed with cursing. But God miraculously took the cursing away. Now, this is how we deal with the salvation aspect. There are things that we are fundamentally sinful because of Adam and Eve, and then what we incur over a period of our life. And eventually we agree with those things, and we think we're right, even to some degree we think we're superior. So the question is, can we lose our salvation? Now, given the fact that if you lead one lifestyle that increases your divorce from God even further, the wedge gets wider and wider the longer you live your life without God, the ways of the world you have to adopt because the world is not necessarily moral. It's not good. If you had lived in and your upbringing was in areas that were, you know, riddled with crime and, and, and drugs, uh, or maybe in, in, you know, a family that has had money and generational wealth, you can, you'll have a different story. You have a different testimony, but the thing also is that you don't escape the aspects of life that get you in trouble whether it be in school or whether it's, you know, testing out and and experimenting with drugs or whatever it is, alcohol, premarital sex. There's some, I mean, the, the, the categories go on and on and on. And, and to some degree people's like, Oh, that's just the normal life that, you know, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. And, you know, there's an acceptance of it just because that it, it is pretty much, you know, families and, and, and society agree upon these things because it's become so common that the sinful aspect of our lives, they this is where it, where it pretty much comes to, and then as you grow older and you have you start your own life outside of your parents' comfort and their support, you start your own life, start your own family, and then you start to carry on those same things, and then you kind of introduce your your own things that you do, all of it outside of God. Some families come to the conclusion that, hey, we need to start going to church. We're going to raise our kids. We've got to do it right. And some are like, we don't have to change. And then some are just go deeper into their sinful habits and lifestyle. So we have two things against us. One is our sinful nature from Adam and Eve. And then the, the sinful aspect of this world that we agree with, the culture, the fads, the cadence, the societal norms, what's accepted, what's not, and the list goes on. So the square or the ruler or the plumb line, as the Bible puts it, is God. And when you create your own plumb line, ruler, and square, you pretty much have to abide by what those things are. But then also the manifestation of those things, you also have to have the fruits of that labor, which isn't always fruitful. Now, there's seasons of fruitfulness outside of God, but it, like I said, it's only for a season. And then you end up having the results of those actions. They don't always play out the way you expect them to. But if you follow the Word of God, you follow the teachings of Christ, the inevitability is unavoidable. 
So what pleases God? I believe that the Bible says that our faith is what pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 When we put trust into this world, we put trust into our own strengths and trust into organizations and other people's strengths. There's a level of that that is organic and it's something that we do that God, I believe, expects us to do our part and then he does his part. But the thing that we have to realize is knowing what God wants from us, what knowing what pleases him. So I would say at least this, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now, the word of God is very important because this is how you're going to know what God wants. And if you want to please him and not please yourself, then you're going to learn about what God wants and not what you want. God spent a lot of time in the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament to explain to us about Jesus Christ. And the Jewish forefathers, they had faith in this. And when Jesus came, the ones that had faith in him were the unlikelies. A Roman soldier, Samaritans, the poor, the paralytic, the blind. The, the unlikelies are the ones who had faith in him. So God wants us to have faith in his son Jesus Christ as well. The message hasn't changed. When you stop believing in Jesus Christ, and I don't mean when you say, Oh, I believe in Jesus. Having faith in Jesus is different than just believing in him. And I know that they sound similar, but it's different. Having faith in Jesus Christ means that you are willing to put aside your desires, your endeavors, your goals in life for his goals, which are to bring people into the ark of safety, which means that you become a Christian to our days, and it seems like our days, are more radical. But they're really not radical. They're just normal Christianity in the book of Acts. When you stray away from the ideas that God has given man from heaven, and I call them ideas and and not trying to downgrade what the Gospels are and the Hebrew Bibleism, that's not what I'm trying to do. But if you really think about it, God has given us different ideas than what the world is giving us. So the world is giving us ideas that we manifest every single day. Every day we manifest worldly ideas. If you really were to be conscious and you were to take a look at what you actually manifest, how much of it is biblical? You'll find yourself in the worldly side more than the biblical side. If you want to get more articulate, if you were to take the words of Christ and the teachings of Christ you'll find yourself still at a deficit. Now, in that deficit, eventually, you will start to create your own faith in what you believe and not what the Bible says. Our rendition of what the Bible says, it differs from person to person. This is why people who are not Christians have a hard time with Christianity is because we do this. We give a version of what we understand based on what we've studied which is probably not a lot of time given to it. And then we give that as a testimony or we give that as the knowledge of what Christianity is about, which is a very poor representation. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but at least what you give, give something that's rock solid, which are the basics. 
We know that Jesus was born of a virgin. We know that he had a ministry and that the New Testament is a, a testimony to what he taught and the beginning of the church, the, the stages in the, the infantile stages of the church, and that he died and resurrected. Those are hard facts. If that's all you know, then that's all you should give. But if you're starting to teach the moral aspect of the Gospels and of the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament, you're really not doing Christianity a service. You're actually doing it a disservice. This is why lukewarm Christians are created. We're created on a very, very misrepresented gospel. And and I'm not saying that you shouldn't go out, but at least give what you know that is rock solid. I say that again because it is very important on what we represent, how we represent it. What is even more so is how we live our lives according to what we preach. If we start living our lives according to what we think the Bible says, even in that misunderstanding or a very small understanding of it, and we live something completely contrary to that, we're doing a disservice to God. We're doing a disservice to Christ. And this is, this is something that is the Achilles heel of Christianity, is hypocrisy. Now, when we talk about can we keep our salvation while doing this, once we are told what we are doing that is not of God, and we continue to do it, we move further away from God. So the point is to have a study group, to have a Bible study, to learn about what the Word of God says, not just to, to lay back on your understanding of what you know, but you have to constantly learn. That is constantly the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is living and the Holy Spirit reveals that living Word. Now let me contrast a person who is doing this in comparison to a person who actually repents of their sin and then starts going to church, prays, reads the Bible and goes to study groups and eventually just, you know, gets bored of it and starts to fall off. That's what they call backsliding eventually happens is is that now once you're awakened spiritually you will go to church you'll read your bible you'll pray go to men's or women's group whatever it is maybe teens and you'll get plugged into the church and eventually there's a few things that the bible talks about what'll happen as jesus talks about it about the prepared ground those who knows what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Now, this is found in Matthew chapter 13. And I'll read it. It's a parable. And this is a verse 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred and sixty and thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so it goes down into the purpose of the parable. It says, And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 11. He answered them and said to them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has 
to him more will be given and he will have abundance and but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him therefore i speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor they do they understand and in the prophecy of isaiah is fulfilled which says hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of the people have grown dull their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand and their hearts and turn so that i should heal them i'm going to move down to verse 18 therefore hear the parable of the sower when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart this is he who receives seed by the wayside but he who received the seed on the stony places this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word immediately he stumbles now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful in verse 23 it says but he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some of a hundredfold sixty and some thirty so the point of me reading this scripture is to show you that those who receive the word of god the truth is receiving life and more abundantly it creates a desire to love god and to love one another it's exactly what jesus said so now the question still is can you lose your salvation given here and what i just read in the parable and the explanation by jesus of the parable lets us know that the wicked one could snatch that salvation away if you give it up because you don't understand it and that's what it says in the first one the second one is but he who received the seed on the stony places they received the the word with joy but because they had no root they didn't endure and when tribulation came they stumble and then the next one is the one that's sown among thorns the cares of the world and the riches of the world are more important and and they become unfruitful and then the the, the last one is the one that's sown on the good ground so this tells me and hopefully it tells you that you basically can dry up you can stumble or you can be drawn away by the deceitfulness of the riches of this world and be choked out and become unfruitful unfruitful so yes it is possible and all these scenarios have happened to newborn christians when a newborn christian is just an infant they need care of the pastors of the teachers of the administration of the church they need to be in complete contact with them because these things happen every sheep needs a shepherd and this is what happens when the shepherds don't do their job it is important for the church to guard newborn christians 
and it is up to the newborn Christian to want to be guarded. If you're truly done with your lifestyle of the world, you will want and desire God's word. God, his word does things on on many levels. The first thing it does is it gives us life eternal. Other ways that it gives life is it gives us better decisions in our life, which gives us better decisions to live a better life for ourselves first, and then, of course, for others. When Jesus fed the multitude with bread and fish, he did it twice. You could either be the ones that are handing out the fish and the bread, or you could be the ones receiving the fish and the bread. But eventually, when we grow in Christ, we should be the ones that are handing out fish and bread metaphorically speaking. But, of course, we really want to do is to be able to be the givers and not the receivers, because when we grow in Christ, we should be the ones that are doing his work. We should be the ones that are hands of God, showing love, showing God in our giving, showing God in our kindness and mercy and love. This is where I believe that John chapter 10, verse 28 through 30 comes into play. If you are the one that is planted in prepared ground, There's nothing that's going to be able to snatch you out of God's hand. The only way that can happen is if you willfully walk away from the teachings of God, from the statutes and the commands of God. A lot of us like to think that that we are drawn away by other people um, when really that's not the case. We are actually drawn away by our own lusts. This is found in James chapter 1, verse 14, and that reads, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. This is why the love of God is so important. This is why we need to love God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul, and to love one another. If we are preoccupied with those two things, it's going to be very hard for the world to penetrate and to infiltrate our hearts and minds. This is why we are given the renewing of, of our mind. Romans 12:2 And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the will of God is very important and it is conducive to our salvation and the security of not being plucked out of his hand. So we ourselves are drawn away by our own lusts, not by something outside of ourselves, but it's something that's inside of ourselves. This is why worldly ways and unequally yoked with people eventually will rub off on us. So to answer the question, can you lose your faith? Yes, you can, because you'll start having faith in yourself or in other things that lead to idolatry. I want to thank you for listening. And I also want to thank all my listeners in Germany. This is Pastor Frank at First Discipleship Christian Talk. God bless.